You're listening to The Emulsion Podcast, a show that informs and inspires the restaurant industry to work, live, and create better. My name is Justin Kana, and I'm a chef and media producer with almost 10 years of experience in award-winning restaurants all over the world. I created this show as a way to give back, to inspire the next generation, and to help you progress your career. The Emulsion Podcast is sponsored by you folks, and Patreon is where that happens. If you're here as a return listener and you enjoyed the episode you just came from and happen to want to support more episodes, I'd really appreciate it. Go ahead and check out patreon.com slash justincana. Thanks in advance if you can. I totally understand if you can't. Free ways you can support this show include leaving a like or comment on this video, filling up all five stars on iTunes, or simply sharing an episode with a friend. This is an interview show. If you missed out on asking your burning question to today's guest, don't let that happen again. There is a really handy-dandy form where you can see upcoming guests and ask them your questions. Be sure to check out justincona.com slash podcast. I'd encourage you to see who I've got coming up. What is up, folks? Welcome to this very exciting interview show. And I say exciting because within the first five minutes of hearing this gentleman talk, I was hooked on the episode. Today's guest is Woody Van Horn. With a solid background in operations management, Woody has spent the last 12 years as a general manager, wine director, service manager, sommelier, and captain. And he has almost 20 year, twenty plus years in the hospitality industry, so he is a veteran for sure. A California native, Woody is a graduate of the Culinary Institute of America and accredited through the Court of Master Sommeliers and in the Cornell School of Hotel Administration. Woody's portfolio now includes Board of Advisors for SomCon, Trailblazer with Ease, which is a cannabis startup, and he also manages private clientele needs through his consulting agency, WVH Hospitality, LLC. We talk about the cannabis industry, as I mentioned earlier, his barbecue test for hiring employees, building a personal brand for yourself, having a beginner's mentality, using tip pools in restaurants, and as many of you know, I like to start off with that State of the Union question with my guests at the start, not just to get them to be comfortable in talking about what they know, but also during that time, I'm taking notes to bring up topics later on in that interview, and that kind of... Those things that they say that make my ears perk up. And Woody does not beat around the bush at all. He dives right into it, and Woody is one of those guys who I just know is going to tell you like it is. He spent a lot of time in this industry. He does not have stars in his eyes anymore. He's just this very level-headed assassin when it comes to food businesses. And I'm really excited to share this conversation that him and I had, because it's also been a while since him and I caught up uh, as well, so I get to ask those probing questions about what he's up to now. So that's enough lollygagging. Let's get into my interview with Woody Van Horn. I, I always like to start with the, the kind of state of the union yeah. with all my guests and, and, and kind of hear your thoughts on chefs and maybe front of house like Psalms and GMs and then um, food media, especially. Cool. So yeah. wh- where, where's your head at in this kind of uh, where are we? May, May of 2018. What are you May excited 2018. about? Um, I'm interested in uh, I think there's a few different things going on. Um, one of the things let's talk about was uh, is basically I think baby boomers have now like jumped into this they're basically holding all the money in which they've had for a long time. So a lot of the investments and those decisions are still being made by baby boomers. But then you have this whole generation of Gen X managing and directing things. And then you have the attention span and the, and the, the, the whole entire, we're all chasing after the millennial market. So with chasing that millennial market, you have your clientele's millennials, your staff is millennials and all over the place. So I think that it's a really interesting time in restaurants where you have the politics going on in the restaurant and trying to make sure that you're keeping the, 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 the restaurant industry attractive to younger um, crowds. Um, but you're going by this old methodology uh, a lot of times. So, 
you know, dress codes are changing um, as things go, you know, drug policies. Uh, you know, I think one thing that is hard for us to switch in our industry compared to other industries is flex time, you know, and, mm. and the way we approach things. So um, what we used to do with the restaurants, you know, restaurants always just been the grind. And I think that as a lot of the younger staff nowadays have just our access to the internet, they realize that this industry is very tough <laughs> totally, and it might not be as attractive as it was before, especially when you pile on student loans, especially when you pile on, you know, the debt income ratio. Um, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting piece for our industry. And so, then, no, yeah, keep going. No, no, go ahead. Please. Um, and I was going to say, is that you speaking from um, a manager's perspective or also from a, it, it's stuff that you're noticing with, with guests as well. Um, my, that perspective is, you know, just to see who's, who's really wanting to be, you know, career servers. Uh, that's an interesting piece. Who really wants to be a career chef? That's an interesting piece. Like mm. watching those people in my network, either be attracted to it or walk away from the industry for different reasons. Um, and then also for managing, uh, you know, when I, when I'm managing things and, you know, it's really easy to sit down as baby boomers, you know, would direct Gen X, you know, and I would sit down and take notes and that's how we're going to do it. And then you go out and you are usually just managing more Gen X um, into an older way of thinking. Now it's like you say things and younger staff are like, uh, absolutely not. <laughs> sure. Or, sure. Or no, no, that's not okay. Right. You know, and, and we keep blaming it on, you know, lawsuits or, you know, faulty management. It's just a lot of the old ways of thinking are all getting revamped now. So a lot of the, uh, you know, old HR, you know, like, here's an example. I opened a hotel last year and you have the, the owners of the hotel come from a very, prestigious background, very lofty, you know, food and beverage history um, of, you know, properties and, and luxury. And then they have this idea of marketing to a younger generation. And then the execution was just pretty struggling. And actually, mm. and, and meaning like, it wasn't like, wasn't planned for, but it was just like, okay, now we hired all these young kids with tattoos and, and pink <laughs> hair. And now the owner walks on property and goes, why are these kids look like this? Sure. Sure. And we're like, well, why are we going to be say we're the cool hotel and not do that? You know what I mean? Right, like why, right. why, what, where's the miss? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like where I think that the, the, there's a, there's a, a stutter right now in our industry um, of that piece. Another thing is the cannabis industry um, as that takes off and as that kind of like morphs into another um, market, uh, you know, a lot of the people making 12 bucks an hour, you know, in a, in a cook job, well, Hey, why can't I work in this industry? You know, it's, totally. it's not really like, so that a lot of the guys are jumping ship to go, especially in, you know, Southern California one hour. Now this is, or California in general, as it gets, you know, this industry takes traction. You know, a lot of these people are very attracted to just like, Oh, I can make a career in this because it's so young. Right. So it's, it's a, it's another, another piece there to watch, watch uh, the industry kind of move around. Um, so I think that's mm -hmm, important. Mm -hmm. um, do you see, cannabis as being a kind of a tack on to, you know, you'll have this, this hotel or this resort or this restaurant experience, and then it's supplemented with cannabis or it's going to flip or, or, or where do you see that it needs to go? I think, you know, I, I'm curious to see what happens in the first in the politics. I think how quickly is this going to actually take form? Um, you know, how, how quickly are we going to remove it from schedule one? Uh, you know, and that all takes a lot of politics and a lot of time to get things done. But the thing is, is nowadays politics happen a little quicker, you know, things happen so fast that we're like, Oh, wow, that that's going on. It's not like it used to be. Sure. So I think that as things switch, um, it'll change. A lot of people always want to get the angle or be the first early adopters. So, you know, you'll see some hotels talking like the standard in downtown LA, they've already discussed opening an edible bar, mm. you know, 
and they might, I think somebody the other day is like, oh, it's just going to be CBD, which I mean, still it's the market. It's that still that same space that they're visiting. So, okay, you're going to open an edible bar. Now you're going to open up, um, you know, we're going to open up a, a lounge or cafe on Hollywood Boulevard where people can, you know, smoke and have like a, you know, Amsterdam experience. And as those things kind of happen, I think that that'll attract one clientele. Um, I think that a lot of cannabis users, like for professional reasons, they just don't want to be out in the public yet because sure. of the stigma. Mm-hmm. So that along with that, you know, people that are going to invest want to invest in people that are going to actually show up. So, um, there's a, there's an interesting piece, you know, I've been to a lot of these cannabis you know, conferences and things like that. And it's still a little sluggish mm-hmm. just because everybody's still worried about the politics. So right. I think as that, once that gets figured out, um, I think this will have a lot of traction. Uh, due to the way the laws are set up, you know, nobody can sit around and tell me any of the liquor laws in the state in the in the country makes sense. So, and that's just because it's this weird thing that there was a stigma after prohibition in 1933, and all these counties and all these cities just did their own laws. Mm -hmm. And that's what's happening now in cannabis is like, okay, there's this stigma, and we're going to let these all these biases of all these different counties, it is going to affect because everybody has the right to vote in what they want in their neighborhood. And so that's going to be another effect is like, you know, in a hundred years from now, it's everyone's going to look around and be like, well, that's, that's just kind of silly. You can't buy alcohol on Sunday morning. Totally. You, can't, you know, and that's what they're going to look like down the road. But for now, it's kind of like it is what it is. Right. And and do, do you see because from my experience and, and I'm not deep in the Canada space in any regard, but from my kind of casual observing right now, it's kind of at that point like you said, where there's a lot of this speculation where a lot of people want to open like, you know, something like an edible bar. But the the experience that I've had with seeing it is, you know, these kind of private events where a chef is pairing food with cannabis or there's some I sort think, of cocktail pairing. What, what does, yeah. what needs to happen? I um, think that it'll, it'll be normalized and it'll be kind of like brought into our industry in a sense. I don't think it's going to replace the liquor license because you can't, you know, the laws that are set up now, you can't have both. Um, I don't, I think there's going to be a lot of insurance that has to be involved that and insurance can't touch it right now. Cause it's not off the federal scheduling yet. So insurance hasn't touched it. Banks haven't touched it, but as soon as those two get removed, it's going to be regulated similar to alcohol. It's where you're going to have to have responsible vendor training. You're going to have to train your staff on toxication rate factors. You're going to play these liability games where you're paying insurance or you're training your staff. And so mm-hmm. it'll come into the alcohol industry or into the restaurant and hospitality industry like that. Um, I think there will be some hotels, some bed and breakfasts that open up throughout wine country and throughout different areas that'll be, you know, focused on that type of wellness or self-care or having fun like that. But it, I don't think it's necessarily going to be every brick and mortar just because of local city council trying to vote things out. And I don't think it's going to be as lucrative um, or looked at, uh, not lucrative, it's not going to be looked at the same way as the alcohol industry um, for a long time. Right. So I think that there will be some play. I think that, that there is some some motivation to get cannabis out and about. And I think it'll be great when it's normalized. Um, will it, I think the restaurant industry is going to be look completely different in 25 years from now. I totally. Think the hotels and restaurants, everything's changing. There's no, you can't, none of these models can sustain themselves anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, the culinary school model doesn't, is there's no way that it's going to continue. Out no way. Yeah. No way. It, 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 this doesn't make sense at all. You know, like the, those things don't pan out. Those numbers don't pan out. So are we going to put people into debt 50 grand because they like to cook? No, it, it doesn't make sense mm-hmm. unless there's a, a industry that'll support that. Sure. You know, we can't even pay the rent on a restaurant nowadays, let alone hire, you know, six figure cooks. Like those are the kind of things that, that the numbers are just off. So once we figure out another model that'll pencil out or we decide what we're doing with all this student loan or whatever, those are the other industries that are 
that need to figure themselves out. I think cannabis is a little bit of an open space and people can play in that with investor money right now mm-hmm. versus you can't really mess around in restaurants anymore because everybody knows it's a losing battle a lot of the time. Sure. So th- that's a weird, that's an interesting piece there. Um, aside from the cannabis related uh, mm-hmm. industry integration is, has, has there been any other models that you've seen uh, around the world in, in, in an industry, even hypothesized that you say, Oh, that can work or that that's something worth diving a little bit deeper into in the, in the past, you know, 12 to 24 months. I think it's funny to look around and see like, there's, there's so many things that are done really well now in fast casual mm-hmm. that it's like, well, that's the, that's such a model. You know what I mean? Like, like just the self-serve water station. Right. Right. Let's get like, like that is such an epiphany that like people just needed to get over, yep. you know, and, and everybody was so concerned with restaurant reviews for the longest time that, and like, oh, we're going to be the hot restaurant. Like not even people weren't even worried about like keeping the doors open. It was like, <laughs> we're going to be the number one. Right. And I was like, and, and so when that became the concern, I think in, in my eyes, when looking at restaurants, people got away from like, okay, this is just regular functional restaurant. This makes sense. You know, I worked for uh, one company and they were like, you know, we keep giving away free water in these plastic cups and this, that, and the other. I'm like, dude, put a water station out. Totally. And then w- literally within nine stations, within, and, and that's just because I work banquets. That's it. I've just seen that done. I'm like, you're going to need water, put out a water station. Mm-hmm. And I've saw, saw that happen so many times that like, when you say that to somebody and, 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 and they're like trying to pull this facade over their head that they're the fanciest place in the world and that they're going to get these like amazing reviews. Um, I, I kind of almost stutter and I go, you know, a water station is very practical. So <laughs> a lot of the most successful things I've seen have been practicality. You know, like when you look at, you know, fast casual where it's walk up to counter service and it's, you know, it's service included for fine dining. That's practical. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like that's practical for that level of service and for the, you know, table, you know, counter service when you walk up and they bring your order to you and, and things are just, they make a little bit more sense that way. Um, those are restaurants that I think that those are the most practical um, or, or successful models at this point. Right. Um, and, and without, um, you know, and, and yeah, that, that, that's, that's my gut on that is like, there's really not a, that nobody has done a specific model unless you are going for that Uber, like that super extreme experience where you can afford to hire all the best of the best. You can't afford to not, you know, to not to skip, uh, steps like you and I both work places like that. Like, mm-hmm. like those are the places where, you know, you're surrounded by people that are all on that way of thinking already. You're not like, you're not trying to train a whole entire staff how to be a certain way. Sure. You've kind of, you're, you're, you're hiring in a way to where like, we know we have the same mindset on, on board and that's very expensive to do. It's very expensive to run a restaurant at that type top level. And it's very expensive to have HR at that top level. Right. And, and I think that those are the, those are the, you know, since we've cost ourselves so much money putting together, you know, real, by, by the time we put together real estate, hire HR that knows what they're doing, hire management that knows what they're doing and buy great product. Like the, the, it doesn't pencil out. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the difficult piece we're in right now. Totally. Um, to kind of semi switch gears a little bit, cause we've, we've already gone from, from cannabis to service <laughs> to fast right. casual. And I, I'm, I'm very, very happy that we're doing that. Cause you're, I, I, I feel one of the few people that I can jam with on that level. You, you are so like, kind of like interested in all these different things. Where does that, where does that come from for you? Like where, where does this immense fascination with like the industry and, and knowing all, cause you could have just been, I mean, you could still be a Psalm out in Yountville, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But w- w- where does this fascination with the industry come from for you? Um, <laughs> to say, okay. So 
I, I like the industry a lot. I, I mean, I love what we do. I love, you know, interacting with people on a day to day, you know, when I was trying to, you know, work my way up, that's what I liked about this. I came from a military background. I worked in the, and I was in the Navy. And I was like, Oh, cool. Systematic. You move your way up. You like earn your keep this whole thing that made sense. So when I got in the restaurant industry, like seriously, I was like, Oh, you know, I can be a busser and then a runner and then an expo and then a SOM mm-hmm. and then a, you know, and I worked my way up and I'm like, Oh cool. I've been doing SOMing now for a few years. Like, where's the money? And I'm like looking around, I'm like, all right, well maybe it's GM. That's what I got to do. So then I started studying after GM. And then as I got into that GM conversation, um, a bit more in different levels of investors, like you're not just dealing with like coworkers or employees anymore. You're dealing with investors and neighbors and all those. And I started, I got, I was an early adopter of LinkedIn, I guess. And, and as I got real deep into LinkedIn and reading HR and reading like these, these, you know, what they do in Silicon Valley, because I was the early adopters of LinkedIn where all the HR people and everybody on, on in Silicon Valley, and you're seeing this like avant-garde or, or very like new approach to like employment, you know, when they come with flex schedules and how do we do onboarding for new employees? And I was fascinated by an industry that like could care. Well, little did I know, you know, when you're managing, it's like, there's a lot more money in Silicon Valley than there is the restaurant industry. So they, <laughs> sure. so they can afford to like have these HR experiences and have this way. When you get to a hotel um, HR, a lot of times it's not, it's all, all bull like, like mm-hmm. they're just trying to limit getting sued that's all they do you know it's, yeah. it has nothing to do with like making culture or the employees are like number one or any of those stuff it's looking out for certain investors money and and making sure that we don't get sued and we don't have any liabilities that work here and and i think that like that that's that's great that's an important piece for investors and it's an important piece for a business but as i went through that i'm just fascinated by all these different industries and how they how they uh kind of apply their different principles. You know, as I look in cannabis, you know, I was looking, I started my own LLC about a year ago doing consulting and I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to consult in restaurants. And then I was like, wait, I know basically just small business stuff too. So then I looked over and, you know, I, I picked up another client that's a salon uh, and that I do their HR and payroll for them. They have five employees, but it's just doing compliance and making sure that all the ducks are in a row. So if you end up in labor court, you have, you know, evidence that you're doing your job right. Totally. Um, and I was like, oh, I can apply that there. And then I started looking at the cannabis industry. These guys, like, all come from the black market, most of them. They don't never even done payroll on the books before. So I was like, wow, there's a lot of space in this industry where I could jump in here and work here. Because, you know, most restaurants can't afford me because I'm, I don't do things for free anymore. And, sure. it's like, and restaurants are already on a pencil thin, you know, razor thin budget. So I look at cannabis and I was like, all right, cool. There's a lot of guys here that are making money growing stuff, but they don't necessarily know anything about compliance. Mm-hmm. They don't know about following the law. They don't know about following the rules. They don't know what excise taxes. They don't know how to like, there's all these space. And then they're, and it's funny because they talk about like, man, we're going to get in this industry as soon as the government like lightens up. I'm like, dude, it doesn't get easier. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm telling these like, they're all worried about getting their initial permits to open the door and just operate. I'm like, wait till you start getting like audited, you know, uh-huh. by the health department on what you're doing. Wait till you get audited by you know, the EDD to make sure you're doing all your break exceptions correctly and getting people on break. Wait till class action lawsuits start coming into payroll, you know, those, mm-hmm. or in, into, into this space. There's a lot of that's going to go on. And right now, like people are just writing whatever they want on packaging. Like they're writing organic on products that aren't organic. <laughs> and then underneath they'll write real small fertilizer. Jesus. Fertilizer. I'm like, that's not legal, but yep. they're not being managed by anybody yet. And, and it's an interesting piece where, there's going to come a time like there's enough money and there's enough things going in this industry where it'll pull it there. But I just try to look at what can I bring value to people? And I'm like, I've, I've seen enough of this stuff 
um, in HR, payroll, management, people skills, like all that stuff to where I could kind of like jump in an in industry. And I, I like, I love people. So I end up talking to a lot of different people. <laughs> um, how many clients do you have right now? It varies. Um, I it mean, varies. I, I do, I, I look at, um, you know, I have one client, I, I have a private client that I do his seller work and, you know, manage private wine collection. I have another um, person I do their payroll and HR for, I have some people I just jump on and do piecework to help them through projects or special events. Um, you know, I do LA food. And the other thing is I also get to do a lot of events. So not many people can get as much time off work when they have a normal job, but I do LA food and wine every year for, you know, that's like four or five days. I do uh Pebble beach food and wine every year. I do SOMCON um, every year. Now we're doing SOMCON on the East coast as well. So, I have like, you know, four days of SoundCon San Diego and then four days of uh, SoundCon DC. Um, so that's pretty exciting. And, you know, I do brand ambassador for a cannabis company um, that uh, a cannabis delivery company called Ease. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm just trying to stay busy and totally. running all over the place. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Ha have you found any difficulty in balancing that between because, you know, the normal restaurant job is you come in and you, you, clock in at a certain time and clock out but now you have all these different balls in the air is that you prefer it that way i'm kind of um, i've kind of been struggling with that for me okay, struggling so but just kind of like adjusting when i was yeah. at restaurants how i balanced the work life was i know i wasn't really very good at it. <laughs> i wasn't home that much but now i have two kids right three so that's kind of like it's good to be home more this last uh, couple of years um right one of those things that you know what i had to do at some point is i had to turn off all the notifications on my phone not even just silent, but mm -hmm. like I removed the little badges from text messaging, from WhatsApp, Same. from yep. all this stuff, just so I'm not constantly like, if I need to know who's texting, I'll look into the text. If I need to know who's WhatsApp, but you know, on WhatsApp, we had one restaurant I was at, it got nuts. We had the WhatsApp back of the house, WhatsApp front of the house, WhatsApp with the owners on it, you know, front of the house <laughs> with the owners involved, front of the house without the owners involved. You know, we had, you know, like, here's the payroll, you know, chat room, here's the, you know, the, all these different, you know, here's the prime cost chat room. Here's my inventory chat room. And those things were just going 24 hours a day by all the different managers. And it got a little crazy. So I had to back that off a little and turn off all the notifications. Um, now I get to partition my time where I'm like, Oh, Hey, I'm home for four days and I can hang out with the wife and kids and do all that. And then all of a sudden I'll be gone for two weeks. So it's, it's good and bad, but I, I enjoyed a little bit more that uh, I, I enjoy the family time more, not working for someone else. Totally. Do what what else have I missed? Because when the last time I saw you was in San Diego, you right. were at Bracero, and you were a new dad for about a week. <laughs> it right. was like you literally just had your first child, and you told me you spent like <laughs> ten right. hours at home, and then went right back so, to the restaurant. So, well, take take me through with the past couple yeah, years. Yeah, um, basically, uh, yeah, Bracero. I was, uh, you know, we did there for two years, and you know, it was a good run, and uh, we kind of moved some things around the restaurant, and I was ready to go. Um, and so I was excited to open this new hotel, um, jumped on board there. I, you know, that wasn't the ideal situation um, where I went and, you know, just jumped out of that. It wasn't. This was yeah. also in San Diego. So that, that wasn't the, the okay. right position for me and whatever politics aside. Um, I was happy to kind of like right at that point, start getting my footing on, on my consulting piece. So I, you know, started figuring out how to legal zoom my, uh, LLC and, and figure that, that, that those pieces out, um, picked up a client, opened a brewery, um, up in Del Mar. And then I, you know, traveling and learning that hustle, you know, listening to Gary Vaynerchuk and trying to, you know, keep your nose yep. to the grindstone and figure that piece of you where you don't have somebody telling you what to do every day. You don't have deadlines unless you put them on yourselves. 
So those are kind of like, that's a new skill set for me. You know, and one of the things I've always told my employees was if you're not uncomfortable, you're not learning. And, and yep. I've been, I was, I haven't felt this uncomfortable since I was back at, you know, with Thomas Keller, you know, when you're, when you're in that setting right. every day, you're worried about your job or you're worried about like, am I good enough? You know, those are where like I grew the most and I learned the most, you know, I was, I was always scared of, of not doing it correctly there, you know? And then, I, and then I got into the stride where, you know, I was like, Oh, I'm cocky. I got killer resume, you know, I'm working at these cool places and, and not saying that it was horrible, but it was like, I got a different sense of like who I was during that time. And now, you know, as humbling as it is like doing your own thing, it's like, wow, I really got to pay attention to this in a whole new way. You know, my PNL is a lot more realistic, not realistic, but make or break for my life than the owner's PNL. So it's, it's kind of interesting right. in, in learning those, 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 um, titles of people than other companies are all BS because it's only as big as they are. You know, there's a lot of nepotism. There's a lot of money that goes into people, family money that gets people certain jobs. And, and then you realize when you're working with them on this level, like, Oh, cool. They're, you know, I'm, they're not, it's not, it's just a title. Let's see how their skill sets are. And, and sometimes sure. my, the detriment of me has been like, I've been surrounded with really great people that want to work really hard to do amazing things. Um, and at those, you know, Michelin restaurants and the cool places I've worked. And then you get into a different fish tank and you realize like, you're the weirdo by being so anal or so mm -hmm. weirded out about like, no, we got to do it this way. And I'm like, why is your folders like this in your Dropbox? Why don't you do it this way? And I'm like, and, and just file trees, you know, like uncovering people's like disorganization in their businesses has been like, it's great for me because I know I can bring value there. Um, but it's also frustrating to learn how to speak to clients or speak to people that are, um, not necessarily your employees or your boss or something like that. It's like, no, we got to work on this together and I got to like bring value to them, not just like rip them apart. So right. that's an interesting piece for me. You know, everybody's, uh, learning something new this year or this week or whatever in their life. And, you know, what I'm learning is kind of like balancing, like, how do I stay positive and progressive um, in whatever projects I take on, um, rather than like criticizing. So taking, taking it a step back to when you were at that point where you were like climbing up mm -hmm. the ranks, it, was there any position or, uh, restaurant or title that you had a hard time letting go of that you really enjoyed being at that, at that point? Uh, for like, for example, for me, it was really hard to go from chef to party to sous chef because, I loved being on the line so much. It was like I waited so long to be a good line cook. And then they kind of like took the knife out of my hand and slid the clipboard across the table. Right. That was really, really hard for me. Um, do you have any experience with that? Yeah. Um, I think. Or was it always kind of like wanting to climb? No, I always wanted to climb, but it was also, uh, you know, something that I had to let go of was tasting wines, you know, in, in as intentionally and as much time as I had before, you know, when I was studying, when I was living in Napa and I was at Goose and Gander and I was like tasting wines, going to school at CIA, I'm learning so much about, you know, like my palate and, and, and what I was doing. And, and the things I studied were just history, research, grapes, whatever, you know, producers. And that was like really special at the time. And then fast forward to now I'm not buying wine like that. I'm buying wine from a PNL. Mm -hmm. I am managing a. Uh, I am managing from a different place, and I just don't have as much time to put into thoughtfully or intentionally tasting. So, the next P 
piece I go to, you know, at Bankers Hill, I hire Molly. Molly comes on and I gave her the wine list within six months. It was like, I wasn't necessarily like trying to like unload it, but I wanted to support her growth. And, you know, I, I wasn't putting so much thought into it as I had when I, that was my sole focus. So it's not like someone took it away from me, but I do miss the artistic or the, uh, the curator, um, you know, piece. Mm. And that's what, just kind of what I started looking into in my staff. You know, I really like putting together a team. And I like hiring. I like doing my own hiring. I like making, you know, teams work. And I love like, oh, cool. This person doesn't work here. Let's try them in this position. Or, hey, let's get these two to work together. Or these two. Or let, let's see how that works. And I really look at staff, uh, staffing a, a, a kitchen or staffing a, a restaurant um, similar to like, you know, writing a menu or writing food and wine pairings. You know, it's like you really need to realize what works together and what doesn't work together. And you want synergy. And as I got really good at that, I kind of like felt really proud of my staff there. And then the next piece was going to a hotel where I didn't get to hire any of the staff. And then I was like, Oh, that sucks. I miss, I miss getting to hire my own staff <laughs> yeah. rather than being told, right. Hey, here's a bunch of like people that, you know, you don't know their background, their training, their anything and make them all be fine dining experts right now. And that was, that was an interesting piece. I was like, well, that's, that's a real difficult piece. Cause, and I missed, I missed that being taken away that I get to just hire everybody as a, as an operator versus now I'm in a, a pecking order at a hotel. It's a lot different. So mm. I'm, I'm going to use this question that I'm about to ask to segue into another question. What are, and I, it's because I'm, I'm taking notes on all these things that you're saying. Is there any particular questions that you will ask while hiring that you've found to either be really valuable that either give you that yes or no on a person or uh, you always ask just, just to know what that, that person's answer I, is? So this is one of my, my barometers when hiring people. I test three different ways of communication with them usually and to see how well they do at it. You know, I, I will I, not necessarily hit them up on Facebook, but what I will do is I will hit them up on LinkedIn, send a message through there. So seeing how like engaged they are on there, then I will and I will send them an email and I send them a text message. And I just want to see how comfortable they are with the different mediums. And I also, mm. you know, one of the things that has been really really powerful for me. Okay. So I like using a scheduling app. One of my favorite ones I've used is when I work, um, for, for it's kind of like a hot schedules kind of thing. But, um, when it works, my favorite, because you know, what I would do is I would create that. If I have a candidate, so say you're, you're applying to work with me, I'm going to send you before I make a job offer or anything, I'm going to send you an invite to log into that app. See how long it takes you to reply to that introduction email, make your profile and set your preference, your, your preferred schedule. Your, your, because sure. that tells me so much about you. A, how mm. you know reactive are you? B, do you have trouble with this? You know, am I am I not mm-hmm. like I'm trying to hire based on age or anything like that? But like, how out of touch are you? You know what I mean? Like, are you trying to fax me your resume? Like, I don't need to. I don't need that in my life. <laughs> you know, and right. if you're going to be a liability of somebody that I just constantly have to be teaching on how to use this simple app, you know what I mean? Like, that's gonna that's just gonna overflow into the rest of our our relationship. So I would rather get those answer those questions for myself now by saying, "Hey, I'm gonna send you an invite to this. Fill out your availability, and if within the six hours it's done, bam, that just lets me know that kind of employee is gonna work with me." Got it. And then in the interview, is there any other questions that you'll ask to kind of gauge um, personality or or other traits that you? I personally try to look find for? out what they like to do. Um, I, I try to find out, you mm. know, like there's that, you know, one of the things I I hate the term of it, but it's called a a, a barbecue test. And it's like, is this someone okay. you would want to have a barbecue with? Would you invite them to your uh-huh. Sunday barbecue at your house? And I, 
do that with all my staff. I want to hire staff that I like to work with. Um, so if I start asking questions and, and just, I can't get any personality out of them, you know, Hey, what are you doing this weekend? Or, Hey, you know, what do you like to eat? What, what's your favorite cocktail? Like, yeah, I'm not trying to get like the most esoteric stuff. I just want to know if they're relatable. So they're going to fit right. on the team with the rest of my staff, you know? And that's one of those mm-hmm. things. It's like, I don't ever ask about, you know, I, and I know there's different ways in, 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 what you should do and shouldn't do for background and stuff like that. But I usually get into, you know, I try to check their degree separation for me. Like how many people do they know in this industry versus what they're saying? You know, cause somebody can say, Oh, I'm a sommelier. Mm-hmm. And I met this lady the other day was, I said, she was a SOM in LA and she had zero connections with me. And I'm like, that's wild. Like, like <laughs> that is completely yep. confusing to me, but good for you. She didn't, and she didn't know who Fred Dan right. was either. So I was like, <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> but yeah, yeah but, um, that yeah. happens and that's happening every day. You know, like uh, what we thought was relevant is going to disappear in the next 15 years. And, you know, there's going to be a whole nother ver- crew of people that make things up. So that is, uh, totally. you know, so it's one of those things I try to find out, you know, how relevant they are, you know, what are their favorite restaurants? Like, do they know what eater is? Do they know like the players? Like, do they understand some of those things? And as long as they get the context or they have, you know, I, it might not be the right answer, but it's, it's an answer that can, that I can work with. And a lot of the times, like my main sure. sussing out is, is checking. Yeah. I want to check technical skill. And I look through, you know, I ask the basics on wine and, and what do they, you know, they don't need to know everything about wine, but they need to know if they're selling wine, they need to know about it. So mm-hmm. I check mm-hmm. some things like that. Moving on to like fostering, like you, you, you've built that team and you kind of have those people that you've, you've right. curated and selected. How do you, bring them all together and, and foster that culture in, in a, in a um, team. I liked, so for one of the ways, the easy answer a lot of time is a tip pool. Um, I like to, uh, I, I, I'm a firm believer if the restaurant's the right size and the right thing and you do, and it's built the right way. A tip pool is a very strong thing to encourage that because mm-hmm. your main, your lead servers are never going to be shy to speak up to you. Um, about that. Right. And if you make that well, like, then tell me what we need to do to get this person off the team. You know what I mean? Like, it's not just mm-hmm. about personality. It's like, hey, you know, complain about that person. Well, let's either train them or get them out of here. What, what do we got to do? And so those I use that. And the other thing is, is I like tip pull because when you show a, a, a level system, like, hey, you're a buster. Now you're going to move to runner. You're going to make this much more. When you're making a runner and you make to, you know, expo, you make this many points. And when you do that, like, and you give somebody, like, I think that maybe your first generation doesn't really see value but a year in when half those servers are gone and everybody's moved up and stayed in the chain it stayed in the mm. stayed in the thing and you realize that you can go from buster to captain just by knowing your stuff you know what i mean it's not it's not about who's been here longer for me it's about who brings by to the team and who's like a good team player and so those are the kind of things that like i think that that's important um you know shift beer's fun i might not be more guilty of that than uh, <laughs> than i should have been but yeah you know, that it's, yep. it's good to have that that piece with your staff um, when I was younger, I was way against it because I started managing very young. So I, I mean, mm. like for instance, when I lived in Yountville, I never drank in Yountville except at like, you know, French laundry Bouchon. Like I never, I didn't sure, go to sure. Ponches. I didn't go to Anna's. I didn't go out mm-hmm. in town. I didn't even wear shorts because I didn't want to see my tattooed legs in Yountville. Like I was professional, <laughs> you know, up there. Yeah. And then, uh, and so that's when I was first younger and I was like, okay, I got to make sure my staff like respects me as a boss and da, da, da. And then as I got a little older, you know, I'm like, I have a beer with these guys or smoke a joint or whatever. Like that's, that's kind of like I yep. switched in that piece. When you first heard that 
Danny Meyer and, and a couple other restaurants were going to start abolishing tipping. Was that something where you were like, I'm interested to see if that's going to turn out or because of your experience, you're like, that's going to ruin it. I don't agree that tipping is the answer. You know, I, I won't, I won't, mm-hmm. I don't think that, that it's the perfect solution for anything. I think for what we have and um, for, you know, the culture in the restaurant industry as it is, it, it has worked. Um, but I think that by the time you abolish tipping across the board, you have a different, and you're going to have a different clientele. You're going to have a different set of workers at that point. By the time like tipping's fully abolished or removed, it's not going to be the same talent pool working restaurants. It just won't. It'll, it'll, it'll be right. different people. You know, it's, it's just like Uber drivers were Uber drivers until Uber showed up. You know what I mean? And <laughs> restaurant yep. servers that work at, you know, the French laundry or that work at, you know, Denny's like those people are, are in those positions because of the current set of standards. So, and, and mm-hmm. when things change, when we switch up that this is going to be required now, or there's going to be unions that are going to, you know, a lot of the, the food and beverage laws that are a lot of, a lot of laws as far as like minimum wage and break exceptions, all those things, those are all lobbied a lot by unions. It has nothing to do with hospitality unions either it's like nursing unions and things like that so mm. if you talk to california restaurant association and you and you're like how do we how do we get somebody to like make some laws that are changed like you'll never overpower the nurses unions so 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 they're right, the one right. and, the, and the teachers aides and all those other things like you know, those are the people that make things happen in the in that affect our minimum wage laws and things like that so it's kind of under it's hard to understand unless we created a whole new set of laws just for restaurants so I don't know what's going to happen with the tip. I, I like Danny Meyer a lot for being innovative. Um, I don't have personal knowledge of exactly how those work. I've never been involved in them um, 100%. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can't really like speak to it. You know, it was a lot different the French Laundry now than it was five years ago than it was 15 years ago. You know, sure. They changed and switched things up. You know, their reservation <laughs> systems are changing. The way they salary people or the way, you know, all these things have changed depending on, you know, litigation and HR and, you know, and what, what yep. the market will bear, you know, what the talent pool will bear. So I always, I always mm-hmm. consider that mm-hmm. like, what will people do? You know, cooks will, what will cooks work for? You know, quality people that know what they're right, doing, right. they will work for how much? 12 bucks an hour. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, if you give them 60 hours a week with overtime, but a cook won't work for 12 bucks an hour, a, a quality guy, if you're only giving them 38 hours, you know what I mean? Like, like those things totally. don't pencil out, you know, and no benefits. You know, I've worked for restaurants that mm. were like purposefully wouldn't make me a director because they never wanted to <laughs> overlap all their LLCs to make us have to pay Obamacare. You know what I mean? Got like, it. like it's like things that you don't even realize when you're like in it. Like, why don't we have benefits or why can't we, you know, and then you realize mm-hmm. like from a business standpoint, it's not like these people are killing it. But when you make right out of business model, you're like, okay, these are things we got to concern with. So I think Danny Meyer, he wants to grow. He wants to be, you know, like his, that's his responsibility is to figure out how to make this work on the biggest scale that he has. Mm-hmm. And I think that he's just, as they look the pencil down, they're like, Hey, we have enough scale here to really like leverage and make a difference and change something. And I think that that's where all the intentions come from. I just don't have personal experience with that system to know if that worked or what I could advise on it. What are some kind of, maybe because I know, I I know you might not be able to give me some long-term, but what are some kind of short-term goals for yourself that you have with, with this new chapter that you've kind of turned, turned over? And is it to kind of find what that new concept could be? Is it to, to take a little bit of a breather? Is it to 
what's the what's the end goal with where you're at right um now? i i'm interested to, I, I like the freedom right now because i get to kind of do do as i will um you know spend some more time mm. with kids you know right now it's my my goal is to make sense of family and taking care of them so it's it's you know i might go back to a position again with a a big company someday. Um, I, you know, was, I got a little frustrated this last couple of years cause it was just, you know, it didn't seem to make sense. And there's too many people making decisions that need to retire. So that's, that's kind of sure. like what, what I look at. And I was like, you know, maybe this will all change in five years. You know, when the, when the HR managers and when the, when the majority of people are know how to work the internet that, you know what I mean? Like, like that, that's, it's like when mm-hmm, you get those mm-hmm. people into actually like investing or making decisions and things like that, like, but, a lot of the times it just feels like that everyone's hands are tied and, and there's really mm-hmm. no, there's mm-hmm. not many businesses out there that are making decisions that are fresh and relevant. A lot of it feels like, like they're just, our hands are tied and I got to stay busy. And so, and, and so totally. a manager keeps managing, a cook keeps cooking, a, you know, small restaurateur keeps opening small restaurants and those things happen. And then, you know, big money, you know, keeps pushing into big money. And so there's a lot of different things. It's, it's, it's curious to see, you know, how important it is to open up another cool little spot when, you know, the mom and pops have been open forever. Like I, 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 I look at the detriment of all these things. I look at, okay, cool. We've got 19 places that are the same exact chain serving breakfast and <laughs> we're excited for them because they're hipster, you know, and they're cool, but we're also like not giving money to a local mom and pop that did open a place and are starting to struggle. So I look at that, I'm sure. like, but maybe it does make sense to have the bigger company because the bigger company does, uh, does has a better chance of staying open and not going bad debt on other businesses, you know? Cause I, 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 mm-hmm. I love that. I love, I don't want to see, you know, produce vendors not get paid because we're a strong, small struggling business. You know, it makes more sense to have a sure. produce vendor get paid um, because you have a, big name and you have, you know, your business stays open longer. You know, it, it's, it's all those little things. There's so many sides to it that it really is hard. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm looking for my opportunity, I guess, uh, when that, you know, making my opportunity looking for my opportunity, who knows, you know, media is changing food, entertainment change. And like, who knows what TV is going to look like or celebrity chefs. What does that even mean in 10 years? Like, like all this yeah. stuff is changing yeah. so much. Like, I don't think like cable TV is not even going to be around anymore. So, when you don't have cable TV and you don't have the Super Bowl as it was, what does that look like? You know, I, mm-hmm. I you, you watch like Coca Cola and Ford and Jeep still spending, and I'm quoting Gary V here, but like they still spend so much money going after like this like sports like these people are, like the Super Bowl and like <laughs> if they spent that money on Facebook advertising, like Facebook advertising yep. would blow up and nobody could afford, no small business could afford to even get any market share on there anymore. So totally. it's like when, when all these things, realities start to come together, I'm going to be blown away at, uh, at, you know, what happens with all the industries that we have now, you know, the, the, these are all going to get mm-hmm. disrupted and, uh, and, you know, so, yeah. Maybe it's changing. Maybe it's, you have it in your, in your brain, but if you had to build that kind of ideal day in the life for Woody Van Horn, what does that, what uh, does that look like? Every day my wife makes me coffee in the morning. She's a morning person. I'm not. So I really mm-hmm. enjoy about that hour of in bed, but not out of the bed yet, like in the morning. So yep, I yep. like doing that. I love my, my daughters in bed and just, uh, you know, hanging out with the family, uh, morning time, get up, um, I do all the dishes in the household. So I try to knock out dishes before I leave. Mm-hmm. So I don't leave my wife with that. And then, uh, yeah, right. that's, uh, then, and then it's, 
you know, going through my follow-up folder, going through my inbox, trying to, uh, you know, my brain, it depends on what I'm doing that day. If I'm tired from the day before, I might take it easy or I'm hustling and looking for new clients or looking for projects to work on or just things that keep me entertained. Um, that's, that's my world. And then every night it's different. You know, sometimes I'm out at events. Sometimes I'm, you know, up in, I'm in LA about once a week now. Um, and sometimes I'm, you know, out at fancy restaurants and, and then sometimes yep. I'm hit, you know, cooking blue aprons at home with the family. So my, my day changes all totally. the time, but, uh, you know, I like to cook food and I like to, uh, hang with my girls and, and if I can, uh, you know, pop a bottle of champagne throughout the week, then I'm, I'm happy. Right. Is, is, so maybe, maybe that's the answer, but I was going to ask if, if you had any of those kind of resources or best practices that you use to find that balance between your professional life and your family life. Um, for me, like it's a little easier now cause I'm, I'm looking for clients. So that's like, that's like the, just to be honest, <laughs> yep. that, that piece is like, Oh, I got family time. Um, for me, yep. it's also like not being mindless, you know, you know, that, that little habit in my head to be intentional scheduling time. I'm mm-hmm. big on a calendar. So if I don't schedule anything, then I'm kind of like helpless. You know, I would rather like, mm-hmm. okay, cool. On Tuesday, I'm doing this on Monday. I'm doing this at three to four. I'm doing this. Hey, I'm going to meet these guys at this time. So those, those, those right. little habits really help me to go amongst that. And then also vice versa. You know, if I have events and I'm in, I was in LA this week, like Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, but I needed to be home at 6am or I had to leave LA at 6am on Sunday, be home for mother's day. It was like making sure that I like, I lock those times and I don't just gloss over that kind of stuff. Right. Right. Is there taking it back to whether it's in your client work or you're being a restaurant GM, is there a trait or skill that you think that you possess or have honed over the years that makes you stand out as an individual or as a kind of force in a, in, a, in an operation? Um, I am not shy talking to anybody anymore. Um, so that's, that's one mm-hmm. thing. It was yep. just, you know, being able to jump in there with an employee, like even you know, I'm at a restaurant, I can just break through and start talking to someone like I work there. And it's like those kind of things that that skill set, um, where I'm not really, I'm not very shy or timid around anything or anyone. Um, so that, that's a skill set that really stands out in groups or when I meet people. Um, and did he used to not be, did he used to be shy? Um, and I was a little bit more, I was, I felt like I had to explain or I had to be, I was, I was confident on wine. So I would try to like talk to somebody about wine. You know what I mean? Like the, those kind of things versus yep. now I'm, yep. I'm confident. Like I talk to people, you know, in completely different industries that, and I think that my sense of accomplishment or self-confidence in my industry, I can parlay that into anywhere. Just saying like, I understand what being, you know, being a, uh, a leader in an industry is, you know? So it's kind of like that namaste, like the, the light in you is the light in me. Like I see that yeah. in you. And yeah, yeah. When I see somebody that's great at their craft, no matter what they do, you know, like I can usually relate to them just by saying, Hey, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're in that same, uh, that same spiel. I, I get, I get who you are. I get what you do in your, in your fact. So right. that's one thing. And another thing is the, um, my attention to detail or my attention to mise en place, you know, I, I have mm-hmm. a, a mm-hmm. anxiety level. Um, if things are, are not <laughs> in a way that makes sense at all, you know, and it's like, and right. I've had, and I'll stick out because of that, because I will say, no, this is, this makes sense. And then I'll get frustrated if I have to explain it too much to people. So it's one of those mm-hmm. things where I'm like, I wish you just knew what I was talking about when I said this, because right. there's very successful restaurants that just know, and that's why they're successful. You know what I mean? Like, and, and mm-hmm. with, I have to stop and explain things to you 
regarding this instead of you just trusting me to handle it or the other way around. That's where I stick out. And it's almost, it's never in a good way. You know, it's the same way when we were in the CIA in New York um, at the Culinary Institute, you know, they, they gave us a heads up. They're like, Hey, FYI, if you don't know it already, you're going to have this like arrogant air to you after leaving the school. And uh, <laughs> it's like a thing on the industry. So do your best yep. to like not have that. And, and we're like, what do you mean? Sure. And I was like, Oh, I, I think I already have some of that from working at Grand Del Mar or, you know, where, wherever else I was. And it was one of those things where like, it's not a good thing to have, but when someone else has it because they're good at their job or they're good at what they're doing because they went to a good school or they went to a, worked for a good company, you know, like or a great company, like those things all you, like you value them so hard when you're there. And when you leave, it's like to value, to not consider them. They're, they're, they're traits. They're good traits, but don't like write on it. Like you're going to convince other people they're good traits, you know? And, and that's one of the sure. things where like, I think it, I stick out in that way um, to certain people yeah. almost where it's not helping mm-hmm. me anywhere. It, it, it helps. It helps when it's your job to do that. It doesn't help when you're trying to explain that to people. So that's something. <laughs> Perfect kind of segue into the, my next question, which is going to be what can industry professionals, and this can be front of right. house, back of house, be doing better to help this next generation. That's so much of what this, this show is about. And the right. reason that I bring on the people that I bring on is I don't, I, because I have this thing in me that I don't want the, the Daniel Hooms and the, the Thomas Kellers of the world, because they're going to give you the, the stereotypical right. Right. answer. You know, it's, it's that you don't want Michael Phelps to teach you how to swim right. exactly. kind of, kind of thing. It's you, you want the guy who, who didn't know how to swim to teach right. you how to swim. Uh, so I love talking to people that are in it. So what from, from, if you had to, uh, give a piece of advice out to whether it's people who are already working or new cooks or new, new industry people to pay attention to what, what, where, where do you see improvements that can be um, made there here? There's two things I, I would say on this subject. One is very few mentors out there um, are mentored anymore. So meaning mm-hmm. like I was a, I, I could mentor restaurant staff all day long. Okay. Meaning I'm in the restaurant and same with the chef chef can mentor down, you know, mentor sous chef, sous chefs can mentor the line cooks, vice versa with myself. Like I'm GM. I can mentor my managers. I can mentor young up and coming psalms. Um, I can mentor servers to a point, you know, and, and there's those, those, as when I was a manager, I was mentoring servers like crazy. When I was a psalm, I was mentoring, you know, bus boys and runners to like move up. So that all very mm-hmm. well happens. There comes a point when like you become like success, like so I, lose some of my mentorship from people above me and it's and 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 i think that that's like yeah you know as much as we we nail down oh you got a mentor you got a mentor a lot of the people that were mentor that that were mentors like all of a sudden don't have mentors and 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 it's like right like i i would love to say that i talked to my mentors when i was younger as much as i do one of them's a friend another guy and i don't like like we're we're buddies we're cool but it's not like active mentoring and so i think that that's like Mm -hmm. And a thing that we don't talk about as much, um, and I think it's important because everyone knows get a mentor. But when you, once you're like a department head, it's hard to find that one guy above you that's gonna or a girl or woman or you know that's really gonna kind of lead you or mm-hmm. help you in that point. So I think that that's where I'm at right now as aggressively as like because I feel bad that I don't have as much time or not time. It's not, I just don't have as much uh, stride in my mentorship to, to the people that I've rate that I've kind of led so far to this point, you know, right now it's like, I mm-hmm. just feel like I've said a lot of stuff to those guys. Um, 
I want to bring more value to them, but I'm kind of lost in, in, in certain aspects because it is a great area of the industry we're in right now. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm like, and I'm like, what do I say at this point? That's not just like bullshit, you know? Like, so I, (laughs) it's like, well, what do we say? So that's one thing. Um, I think that it's, it's be intentional with being, keeping a mentor, having people, um, right now I'm kind of revising my head, like who's leading me or who do I trust to listen to their opinion? Um, and then another piece Mm -hmm. is also on there with this piece down. I wanted to, bring this up because i was like oh make it happen yeah um and and got it what i say in the make it happen piece is is let's talk about you know that hr piece you know like i feel like the the in the next 10 years you know as gms um or hr professionals in hotels or as managers in general sous chefs chefs whatever like let's take a step back and make things happen for our staff and not just have our hands tied because of hr rules and I think that there, it takes creative management and it takes, it takes people willing to have that conversation and make things happen rather than, you know, I, for instance, like I researched about tip pools. I've studied, I've met with lawyers about tip pools. Like I, I am a, a firm believer that, you know, an organized system is a lot better than just chaos. And, and I've watched yep. HR yep. people tell me, do not touch, talk about tips to your staff. And I'm like, how in the world do you think these are just kids? They don't understand how to figure this out. They're just gonna screw each other over. Right. And and mm-hmm. and then you and you watch like somebody got the job and she's like, I'm not tipping it. And then that guy goes, I'm quitting. And then like, why can't you? T-? And then it, it just causes this like chaotic, like like hidden secret, palm and money behind everyone's back, like things where everyone feels like shorted. And I think that since like mm-hmm. we do live in a place in an industry that like you know, requires money. We live in the society that we, this is why we're doing this, that it's important to take that seriously for staff. And when you give a lazy answer to a manager from, from a corporate position saying, don't talk to them about that, or just, just let them figure that out. I think that that's like doing a disservice to your staff. I don't think Apple would do that. Totally. I don't think, I don't think, mm. you know, Facebook would do that to their staff. You know what I mean? Like, like if that was a, like, and, and I think that so much of this, like, the pretty HR that goes on on LinkedIn about the nice things you can do for your, your team, your staff, or how you should lead like that stuff needs to really be taken to heart in our industry. And I think our industry is mm-hmm. lacking anybody with substance of not anyone lacking those, those core values of, of why we do things. Um, and I think that they get shined over a lot in restaurants. Totally to, I'm going to switch gears a little bit and go to a couple cool. rapid fire questions. Yeah. If you're okay with that. Um, it's, a Saturday morning or your, your first day after you're mm-hmm. finished working for the week and you're kind of standing in front of your kitchen. How do you make oh, your eggs egg for yourself? French omelet. Three, three eggs, egg omelet. French Nothing. Omelet. What, what else? Yeah. Okay. Ju- French. Whatever's yeah, in the cheese. fridge. Like there's just a soft white melty yeah, cheese. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not fancy. I don't have fresh chives in my kitchen, but <laughs> <laughs> throw some fresh chive on there. Like, yeah, maybe saute mushroom. Um, but very, um, three egg omelet. Would that change if you were making it for your wife or for your girls? Um, I know I make, I, 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 my wife doesn't like omelets as much. Um, but she's just sensitive to it being like an American omelet where it's hard eggs. So she'll eat a, a, a runny soft, uh, French omelet. Um, girls eat the same thing. They, we, they eat the same thing we eat. That's good. So my, my, yeah. my girlfriend's the opposite. She doesn't like the French runny style. She likes Cause she's a, mid, she's a Midwestern girl. Right. So she, 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 that, that's, that's, that's her comfort food, I guess. Yeah. My father-in-law, he's, he's uh French. So he was like, he was like, we gotta, 
when I made him an omelet after school, he was like, that's it. Hell yeah. Why does anyone else know how to make it? <laughs> I was like, like, well, so I've always been pretty proud of that one. Totally. Name a, name a cookbook or it doesn't even have to be a cookbook. It can be because you're obviously in other, get inspiration from other industries. If there's a book that you've gifted most or are most likely to recommend. Um, Danny Meyer set at the table. That's what yep. I give. I give that to everybody um, that I work with. If they haven't read it before, you know, when I get into a new industry or a new space, I'm like, you know, this is about hospitality. This is not about just food and wine. You know, this is mm. about a, a way of being. So I really like that book. Um, for people interested in the wine, uh, beverages, and history, you know, this kind of one of the things that did it for me was uh, um, the history of the world in five glasses. That's a, Got a, it. a pretty cool book. And yep. then uh, good to great. Um, just yep, because yep. good to great's a, a it's such, it makes sense. You're like, Oh, so, so many people are, are settling for mediocre. And mm. a lot of the times that I meet people, it's because I work at these fancy places and you know, these great restaurants. And I'm like, you know, this, these are case studies in why those places are great. And it's because, you know, there's certain things that, that there's certain habits that people have. And, uh, so that's a, that's a good one just to kind of point out that those pieces. What, what, and this is a, side tangent off of that is is what what keeps you striving for for that like what because there's a lot of i mean i hate to say that there's a lot of media mediocrity but there is a lot of mediocrity in the industry sometimes how what keeps you from that and what keeps you wanting to like what where, where does that hunger come from for you it that's why i originally even liked it got into this industry mm-hmm. um realistically like i i'd worked some i worked some little restaurants in high school but when i was uh 20 early, I don't know, it was like 21. I joined the military, mm-hmm. left for boot camp, got stationed back in San Diego. And then I picked up a restaurant job, just kind of moonlighting. And so in my whole time in the Navy, I was still, I still kept moonlighting, but I was like, all right, at this job, when we don't like somebody, cause they suck, we fire them, <laughs> yep. you know? And then at this job, and, and this was a Bradley Ogden restaurant. It was a, it was a awesome. We were like the hot spot back in like 2003, four five. And it was like the coolest restaurant. So I was like, oh, cool. This makes a lot of sense. I really like this industry because, you know, this chef's a badass and he went to the CIA and, and this guy, you know, is a sommelier. He's certified by the court of masters. I'm, I started learning about like pedigree mm. and I was like, those are really cool. And this is back when, you know, nobody had court of master stuff. Like there was like nobody in San Diego. Like it was, it, there was very rarely did a master even like come down here. Mm-hmm. And so I was watching, uh, you know, I was seeing that and then I go to the Navy and no matter what you do, you're basically stuck with these guys. Like, like, like you would have the worst horrible employees possible. And they'd be like, all right, cool. Um, you're here for three more years. And, uh, and you're like, oh. and I just couldn't get rid of, yeah. like, you could never shake a bad egg there. Mm-hmm. And it was like, hopefully somebody would like punch somebody and get kicked out. <laughs> hopefully somebody would like, you know, smoke. Pot. I would beg yeah. guys that were horrible that, on my team. I'm like, I please go smoke weed. I will yep. buy you drugs. Like yep. I will do whatever it takes <laughs> and to get you out of the Navy. Like, cause it was just, it was horrible. Yeah. And, and, and then, and so that's what really kind of got me out of the Navy. Like I did really well there. I was blue jacket set of the quarter and I got a Navy achievement medal and, you know, I was, I was doing well in that, in that environment, but working there and then working at a, you know, James Beard nominated place. I was like, okay, I could get this. Got this it. is, these are the winners over here. And that's what really wanted me to like pull in that industry. And then in all the different versions of that, that I kept like striving for after that, I just learned what like an important restaurant is early on. And I kind of like kept hunting for those. And I was like, okay, I really want to be avant-garde in this because there is so much, there is so much mediocrity. And how do I stay surrounded with people like this? Right. What is there? 
I'm, is there one weird thing that you were into when you were like a teenager that's either set you up to come into the industry or you found that kind of ties back in to the industry in some way, shape or form? Um, when I was, uh, how, okay. Eh, not really too much in the industry. I didn't really get food industry until I was older. Um, you know, when I was 13, it was like the internet was first. Um, I was in the AOL mm-hmm. we Googling things like, uh, you know, the anarchist cookbook and learning to make, you know, you know, things like that, you know, like sure. hacker stuff, yep. you know, it was like th- that, that was kind of coming out in that, that age. And then kind of like I went into high school and was more into the, you know, with a gothic punk rock kind of style. And, and then, and then, and then I got into more refinement when I got older, mm-hmm. it was, it was like, Oh, you know, I learned what wine was when I was like, you know, I, I was like, all right, cool. I can get into wine. And, you know, and, and then I really started learning about food and the history of food really made me want to study. Mm. And so that's kind of like, that's where I went from there. It's it. like the sommelier thing came from being a professional in restaurants and then history, food, wine, and really studying was, had to do with like how fascinating I found world history now that I had context for mm-hmm. it. Because as a student in high school, I didn't at all. I, I was like, I don't care about history. This doesn't make any sense to me. I don't care about, you know, I, I like people and I want to work with people. And then I realized, okay, cool. Here's a, here's an avenue where I can talk to people about history. And I really fell in love with it there. Understood. You're at a point more or less now where you've kind of, I would say plateaued in, in, in many respects. Is there a technique or a practice, whether it's in the restaurant, in, in front of house or in the kitchen that you're still intimidated by that you still feel like you haven't nailed? Oh yeah, I will. Uh, it's funny because I I call myself a comi like in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, like I would never say I'm a chef. Or, sure. You know, like I, people call me oh chef Woody. Like <laughs> I, I can chef from like a, a mentorship standpoint mm. and stuff like that. In the kitchen, I my favorite stuff to do is like breaking down animal and yep, like, butchery. Yep. Mm. Um, things that I would never volunteer for would be a saute cook. Got like, it. You know, like I could prep all day. Like I smile except for dealing with the salsa fee. But other than that, like I could prep at a, at a prep table all day long. Cool. But, uh, but yeah, when it gets to like things like, um, you know, saute or, you know, even fry is not bad. I can, I can fry all day long. Mm-hmm. But when you're like talking about like taking it home with a one piece of fish, that's yep. going to look like it's going to make a break. Like you're going to put it in the window. <laughs> it's going to look horrible or yeah. not. Yeah. Like that, that pressure always has always, I just haven't done it enough times. Sure. Before, like, that repetition, like where it's that muscle memory. Like when I was at Bouchon, you would watch this guy cook the same exact, you know, nine inch long trout every single day for, you know, months on end. Mm. And he would just like, that's all he did is cook that trout and he got perfect at it. And so after you watch that kind of stuff, like, or you're know, like, okay, cool. We sous vide this monkfish to this point that we pull mm. it out for Monte or whatever is happening. Like, like those things, like that one piece of fish that just could go down in five seconds. Like yep. I hate it. I hate that guilt trip. I'd rather prep and do batch cookery all day long. Got it. You somehow get a call right after this interview that you've just won an all expenses paid trip to eat at your dream restaurant. And when you get there, there's someone that you've always wanted to talk to living or dead waiting to have dinner with you. What is that restaurant and who is that person? Um, probably be, probably EMP at this point. I've never been to Little Madison Park. I stood outside, I looked in the window. Mm. I've had many friends that have worked there, but I, I never have eaten there yet. And so that's something that I would love to have done. Um, and while we're still in this era, um, because there's restaurants like that have come and gone that I would, I would probably like, I would love to have been there in that era. Um, person I would be eating with would probably be Obama. I just would love to have, 
I think it'd be a great dinner. Um, uh, he'd be a great dinner conversation guest. And, and I just love, I like dinner. It doesn't have to be food people. Yeah, um, yeah. My wife was like, you wouldn't take me. I'm like, <laughs> but, but I was like, if it could be anyone, I'd be, I'd, I'd sit down and have dinner. I think it'd be a, a, a cool dinner. Very cool. Uh, Woody, where can people find you online or where would you like people to come? Whether they have um, a question yeah, for my, you or Woody Van Horn on Instagram. Uh, it's at Woody Van Horn or just my website, Woody Van Horn.com. You can email me, me at Woody Van Horn.com. Perfect. And uh, yeah. Oh my goodness. Justin here, present day, Justin here. It's just you and me now. If it's not obvious why I enjoyed this interview, so much uh, it should be because Woody killed it I certainly had a great time jamming with him we share a lot of the same ideas and with these interview shows so much of my time with my guest is spent letting them talk I should be in charge of directing the conversation and teasing out those little bits of knowledge for you but then I feel like there's value to be gained from doing kind of a post-game analysis of the interview plus as you might have noticed this video is vertical this is going to go up on IGTV as its own piece of content to kind of entice you to go watch or listen to the podcast so It'll be a post-game trailer, if you will. So my takeaways, and then if you want to kind of dive a little bit deeper and hear why they are my takeaways and get a little bit of my guest perspective, you should go watch the full podcast. So I want to start doing that going forward. This is kind of my version of the Marvel after the movie's credit. So uh, for making it this far in the podcast, I'm stoked to offer you a discount code for 30% off. I upped that. 30% off a one-hour-long coaching session with me. Use end of the show, all one word, uh, on justincana.com slash coaching. If you're interested in improving your performance at work, building your personal brand as a chef, hosting your own events or pop-ups, networking with industry people just like I do with this show. And if you decide to book a coaching session, all of that is considered sponsoring the show. So if if you got any value from this show, I would really appreciate it. It's just something that I can do. It's not through any other company, uh, but it's still bringing you value. So I'm really, really excited to be able to offer that coaching. So from my conversation with Woody, some takeaways from me. I noticed when he talked about the water station in restaurants that light bulb really clicked for him when he was referencing his experience working with banquets. So he worked in restaurants and he would be like, why are we doing water service in that way? So how can you as a cook or a barback or a pastry chef get experience from working in different formats of the industry and then take that inspiration to improve the one that you're most passionate about? Don't work in a vacuum. Yes, you might want to have a super high-end two-star Michelin chef counter, but if that's all you've worked in and that's all you know, your shit is going to look like everybody else's. So go work on a food truck for a month or spend time sitting at a hip wine bar and watch how they organize themselves because then you ultimately start to cherry pick the best things that are going to work best for your creative vision and ultimately make the guest experience that much better. Another takeaway, a point that I didn't even bring up, but I noticed when I was going through and editing this interview, he isn't crazy worried about touting the restaurants he's worked at or the project that he's helped with. He's focused on being the best Woody Van Horn that he can be. There is no summit. He's playing an infinite game. And when you wrap your head around that, problems like burnout and all that pressure, it all kind of melts away. And it's not to say that Woody doesn't deal with stress or anxiety ever. And some of you might say, well, I don't have the bravado to build a personal brand to put my name out there like that which is totally fine, but Woody is a fantastic example of being very niche, uh, being very expensive, and ultimately building that around solving a problem for an industry that he has a deep, deep knowledge for, and it's something that I'm modeling for myself as well, so I got a lot of inspiration from that. I also loved a point when he talked about being uncomfortable for for pursuing that beginner's mentality and and constantly wanting to be learning. So many people with uh, his resume and his skill set settle into these 
15, 25, 35 year long career stints with companies, which isn't to say that it's bad. It's definitely safe. And if you are comfortable and that's the kind of environment that you want, I wouldn't, I would not want to discourage you from doing that. But Woody was able to see, oh man, there's opportunity here and my life is changing and I'm having kids and I want to spend more time with my family. How can I reprioritize and gain the skills required to create my ideal reality? And he's doing it. It's something that I thought wasn't really possible, but in these interviews that I'm doing case study after case study after case study, these people are doing it and it's really, really inspiring. Also, another point that he made about keeping his standards really, really high and the fact that there's a difference between flaunting your resume and actually having the skills to execute more effectively and and, and taking those things that you've learned from working at these places and ingraining them into your normal. And I've had a really hard time articulating this to people that I work with because it's really it's really easy to come off as a pompous dickhead when you tell people to do certain things that make complete sense to you, but it makes no sense to them because it's just the way that they've always done it. And it's hard to see someone rip the tape instead of cut it, if you know what I mean, or peel a potato straight into a trash can or work with food all over their, their station or, or all over the floor. And sometimes I want to be able to screen for that before I work with people. And it's ultimately up to me now to make sure that I enforce those standards. And so much of my content is 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 trying to help scale that learning to help make it so that you can understand why these things are the way that they are in these restaurants before you get there so that you don't have to have that really embarrassing situation of uh, asking the quote-unquote stupid question of why do I have to cut the tape? Why can't I just rip the tape? It's really, really easy to descend into mediocrity, but the way that I think about it is what was the point of learning all of those skills and practices if I'm just going to go back to being average when no one is watching? So ultimately, that's my uh, takeaways from the episode that I had with Woody Van Horn. If you have any questions, please shoot them to me either here on Instagram, I guess we'll take them, but I would prefer for you to reach out on Twitter, hashtag the emulsion, uh, tag Woody as well. All of his stuff is obviously linked up uh, from the end of the show. And I encourage you, if you haven't checked out the episode, the full episode yet, if you're watching this on IGTV, to check it out. Roll the outro. Thanks for listening to the Emulsion Podcast. I appreciate your ears more than you know. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help sponsor the show, head on over to patreon.com slash justincana. Other ways you can help out right now include giving this show a review on iTunes so more people can find it. I also love seeing you folks liking and commenting on the video if you listen that way, or even just share this episode with a friend. Now is normally why I would tell you that my name is Justin Kana, and I hope you have a good one, but you've probably got another podcast episode to listen to, so I'm just going to get out of the out of the way here excuse excuse me <laughs>